Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. This is Not the Final Cut. I'm your host, Greg Susi, and here with me is... Sam Brown, the co-host. We are cousins, and uh, I think, Sam, when I, when I texted you to start this podcast, I honestly, like, I was just walking home uh, from class at Penn State, and I was like, you know, we, we would go on vacations, and we would just, like, sit in the ocean and just talk about movies for three hours. I was like, why not? Why not start recording this and make some episodes, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've, you know, I've loved movies for a very long time. I've been talking to you about them for a very long time. So yeah. I, uh, when you initially texted me, it wasn't something I would typically do because, you know, not pretty reserved, pretty reserved person. But, you know, I thought it would be fun, fun to just talk about movies. So yeah, no, here you, we are. You, yeah, you definitely have a, like a bigger Rolodex um, than I do, I think, as we've talked over the years, a little bit more breadth. But I mean, we've both, I think, taken some film classes and, and some stuff like that. But my whole thing is just, you know, I love I love movies and all my friends, you know, they sure the same thing happens with you, I'm sure. But they tell me like I speak and they gave me a sticker that says I speak fluently in movie quotes. Oh, you're like, the king of movie <laughs> quotes. You're always saying stuff from references a lot of them i don't even get yeah so why don't we just uh let's tell people a little bit about ourselves you know because i mean we're just kind of introducing here um but yeah my name is greg susi i am a senior at penn state studying mechanical engineering um again in in my free time i just i like to go to the movies while i watch on on any kind of streaming platform anything that's coming out recently uh, recently, I've been watching um, all the Oscar noms for this year. I've been trying to catch up with those. I, just to give a quick sum up, right now, I don't know what you've seen so far, Sam, but I love Nightmare Alley. I thought that was awesome. I don't know if you've seen it or not. I have not. I don't think I've seen any of the like big Oscar movies this oh, year at dang, all. You got to get on it. There's some good ones. Being the Ricardos isn't up for Best Picture, but I think there's a couple... Um, uh, actor nominations for that one that was really good and some other stuff I mean I just watched Under the Silver Lake per your recommendation that was pretty sweet love that, that movie. was a, That's that was one of my favorite things that was an interesting movie but how about you just uh, how about we talk, tell, tell people a little bit about yourself and uh, what you've been watching lately so I am Sam Brown I think I'm technically classified as a junior at Virginia Commonwealth University I'm studying journalism and the thing I ideally would like to write uh, in terms of journalism is movie journalism. Um, and, you know, I've been watching, I watch, I watch some different things. I think the last week, the movies I watched were uh, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, which is dog water. It's a horrible so, movie. It's a guilty pleasure, though. I, like, I have to admit that. I, I'm I, I love the Disney Plus series. I think that'll be better I than the too. movies were. But oh, that's a guilty pleasure. I loved the books growing up, and so I think part of part of me hating it is it's nothing like the books. No, yeah, not even close. Uh, and then in the mood for love, the Wong Kar Wai, uh, probably my favorite like romantic drama ish movie ever. I watched for the first time two days ago. Fantastic movie. I'm going to talk about it more later. Uh, I watched Haxon, which is like a, I think, Dutch. Uh, don't quote me. I could be wrong. Uh, silent film about 
it's like a mockumentary about the occult and witches. It's very interesting. Oh, that's real. That's yeah, that's really offbeat. Sounds like. And then yesterday I found a free movie on YouTube called The Stranger That Kneels Beside the Shadow of a Corpse. It's a spaghetti Western from the 70s. It was very strange, but I liked having it on while I do other stuff. Dang. All right. Yeah, you always give me those uh, some some wrecks that I definitely haven't heard of before. I appreciate that because I'm more, you know me, I'm more than uh, the, the mainstream whatever's coming through and then I'll work my way around. Most of the stuff that I've seen that's more like indie, like indie stuff and more uh, like less well-known I've seen in, in classes like, like film history and theory and stuff like that. But so that, all that being said, we should probably uh, get into this episode. This is our first episode, but we are going to be opening at the end. We're going to be uh, doing our top 10, each of us separately. Two, two different top 10 lists, although I'm sure we'll have some overlap just given the nature of some of these films. But we're going to be going over the top 10 endings, ending scenes. You know, what for whatever reason, the, the, that ending scene just really grabbed us or maybe how it worked with the rest of the film or whatever. And since we are talking all about movie endings, I think it's needless to say that a huge, huge, huge spoiler alert is in effect for this entire episode. But yeah, we're ranking our top 10 ending scenes. I'm, pr- I'm pretty excited. This. This, was a, this was tough. And we're doing it as like a uh, alternate, like I go, you go, I go, you go. Yeah, through each number. A okay. couple honorable mentions to start out. Perfect. And I, I, mean, I think we just work through and talk about them. But this was, I don't know about you, man, but this was ridiculous for me. I, I had a, a fairly <laughs> hard time. It seemed like you were having a harder time cutting down than I did. Yeah, well, because I was texting you and I was like, Man, I have just off rips, like just completely off my head, got like 20 immediately. And then I did some some searching. I was like, oh, yeah, that, that, that. And I worked my list up to like 40. <laughs> and then cutting that down was just a, that was a, there were some hard cuts. Yeah, I had, a, I had a fairly different process. I made a list that had like 18, I think. And I, I texted that to you. And then right after that, I thought of like six more. And so my list is pretty different than it was when I sent it to you, at least the bottom half of the list. Oh, so I haven't so, even seen your actual list. No, I think there's probably six of these, I would guess six, that were not on the list when I sent it to you. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm going in blind then. We might have more in common than I thought. We don't. Oh, cool. All right. So my list, because I sent you mine first. I was, I'm glad that didn't sway you at all. Okay, yeah. All right. So why don't you hit me with a couple of your, uh, we for honorable mentions, we don't really need to go back and forth. I think since those are more, um, are like our, our bottom t- or like back tier ones, we can just uh, rip through those. Each Fair first. enough. All right. I'm going to go through mine. At 15, I put Blade Runner 2049. I think it's just... I don't know, the, the shot is beautiful. He's laying on the snow. That's the specific shot I was thinking about when I brought this up. And it's like kind of peaceful. I don't know. I really like it. I like it as an ending. Uh, 14, I put the, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is a, a German expressionist movie from the 20s. And it ends in a twist that today people would say is like derivative. It's been done. But remember this is a movie from 1927 so like yeah 
it's pretty cool to think about the fact that they that's, were doing twists like that. That's a huge class one. You won't, you won't see, you won't go through any like intro film class without being shown. Oh that, yeah, absolutely. That film. Um, for number 13, I put the witch, uh, Robert Eggers is, uh, 2016 film i think it's a slow burn all the way through and then the end is just like pure catharsis it's just everything goes down in the last like five minutes and the final shot is very cool i i enjoy that a lot number 12 i put a ghost story david lowry's 2014 movie the movie is about uh like loss and grief and i think the ending is a very very good representation of closure i just think it's a, a beautiful ending and for number 11 i put memento i feel like that's an obvious one classic just such a cool uh ending monologue um i i just love that movie oh yeah and that, that will be coming up much later uh in my personal list we'll have to wait and see when uh when that one pops up though is that all? Is that that's all your honorable mentions? Those are mine. Awesome. Yep. It's the eclipse memento off the uh, off the main. I, I figured you'd have it, so I decided that's true, not that's to. That's true. Yeah, the overlap definitely helps cover some of these. Um, my fifteenth uh, on the honorable mentions. Uh, so the top, last five out. I got your boy Tarantino with Django Unchained. I think when I watch that, it's just the the standard. Classic, like, Tarantino spectacle, big explosions, all this gunfire, and, like, just the the triumph that, that Jamie Foxx, Django, has at the end of that. It's just walking away with, the, with smoke. It's, oh, it's insane. It's just I it's love a, the shot of him watching the explosion. It it's is just very awesome. It, the, like, the, the word is just awesome, the way it's all put together. Um, and then seven is one that I regrettably moved off my main list last last minute but you know just having seen kevin spacey's plan uh come to fruition like it is just crazy like the way that he he knew mills would would, would kill him and, and all that stuff by the way we should probably say before we even start this episode maybe even go back and toss into the beginning big spoiler alert is in effect as we are talking about the ends only of these movies so plots yeah. will be discussed how characters end up will be discussed. Um, so yeah, huge spoiler alert. Uh, but then after seven, I had to graduate, you know, just all the chaos of like those two, re you know, rebelling, making this huge decision to just like go off and cause, they cause all this chaos and they just hop in a bus and leave. And they're literally sitting there with Simon and Garfunkel. Sound of silence. Shot. Oh yeah. And I mean, they just like, the way they just sink into that silence is like, what? They don't they don't know any more than we do what's going to happen. And it's just it's so well done with that song. I don't know if you had any comments like that. That's a I mean, that's a classic. I, I mean, I uh, it's not one that came to my mind, but I absolutely like I should have thought of that when I was making this list. But yeah, it's yeah. very good. That was what that was like a late 60s movie, I think. It was one of Dustin Hoffman's first. Um, then I got Gladiator it's just it's a satisfying ending you know guy had everything against him even a knife before the fight and then he just you know he wins and then you also get to see him go to the afterlife where he gets the closure of being with his his wife and son it's just it's really um 
again, it's well put together. Russell Crowe's acting in that kind of makes it for me. And just the the triumph, even though he like is dying, is really cool. Uh, and then obviously Inception, one of my favorites of all time. The 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 one of the most iconic, like unknowing. Like if you ever watch the theater reactions for that ending, it's like a mixture of complete awe and also just being pissed off. <laughs> I also love for that ending the idea that it's like it leads to theories of uh, is this a dream? Is it not a dream? But also, it kind of doesn't matter. Like, he's happy. He's finally, yeah. you know, whatever. So oh, I yeah. just, I really like that. Well, that's that's the whole thing. It's like the pan from, the, it's a slow pan and zoom. Because, like, you know, Nolan always focuses in on, like, the objects. Just, you have the sight of him being happy. And then just go straight to just, just the top. That's, and then that's all that people end up focusing in on, despite everything else going on with the kids but yeah that's that's a classic so i had to throw that on my honorable mentions all right so now honorable mentions are out of the way tough cuts had to make them but now it's the real deal i want to hear your number 10 started off my number 10 i put bong joon ho's parasite i fantastic movie uh deserving of the best picture oscar absolutely uh, i think the ending this like scene of of the son kind of dreaming about him rescuing his father uh it's like naive hope and you think for a moment that they're going to see each other again and it's like oh it's beautiful it's uh give him a hug and uh and then he puts the stone in the creek and it sinks to the bottom and stays at the bottom of the creek and at that moment, at least the second time I watched it, that kind of sunk into my head. Oh, this is, it's a fantasy. It's unrealistic. That's really kind of heartbreaking. But oh, I really yeah. love the effect that has. No, that, that whole movie was just like, it was something else. And it took me a while to get around to watching that one because it wasn't on anywhere for a while. And then it was on Hulu, I think. And I just, yeah, that was, that is some movie. I, I didn't even think about that ending because like, for me, like that didn't stick out more than, anything else but that that whole yeah that whole movie was just something it was crazy and honestly so you went recent for your number 10 i also went recent for my number 10 at the 10 spot for me is la la land and interesting think, i've never seen la la land what dude never seen oh my it. gosh that's gonna be on if we do an episode on our most regrettable haven't watched that better be on yours because it is phenomenal so i don't know if you Want me to talk about this then? I'm okay with, I never really care. Okay, so I just think had the two of them, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, had their characters gotten together at the end of the movie, which now, as you know, they don't. Had they gotten together, it would have been way less good of a movie because I think the point of the, the point of the film, right, is for them to be for each other who they were supposed to, like, to help them each reach their dreams in that point in their life. And then they both do. And so the last shot, they honestly, what's great here is the director gives the audience the ability to see what would have happened if they got together. There's this whole montage of like their life together if they got like married and stuff. But that then they cuts back to like the just Ryan Gosling playing the song in his club that she like encouraged him to start and all this stuff. And then the last shot is just they each exchange a smile like, hey, you got to where you wanted to be and like where you dreamt and fantasized about when we were together and I did too. 
And it's like this moment of just like complete content, even though they're not together. So sure, like the sappy romantics of the world, I'm sure we're pissed off at that one, but I think it was it was genius. I, I actually, I, again, never seen it, but just from you describing it, I love that idea of an ending because with a lot of like romance movies, I like the idea of them not being, you know, perfect fairy tales because it's, uh, you know, it's unrealistic, but I saw. Well, you know, that was actually how I think when Harry Met Sally was supposed to end when it was first written too. I didn't know that. That's interesting. They weren't, they weren't supposed to end up together, I believe. All right. Your number nine, sir. Okay. So for my number nine, I did John Carpenter's 1982 classic, The Thing. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the whole movie is like a masterclass of building tension. And the end is kind of, for me, the polar opposite of The Witch, where... I think they're both masterclasses in building tension. The witch is pure catharsis. Uh, the thing is no catharsis. The tension never breaks. They end and you don't know, uh, spoiler alert, you don't know whether uh, either one of them are the, the thing. It spawns theories. It's similar to the Inception thing where it spawns theories, but ultimately it doesn't matter because whether or not one of them is the thing or you know neither of them are, they're doomed to die. They're going to die. <laughs> Like it's, there's no hope. And just like the suspicion that's been building throughout the movie no longer really matters. So you see Mac sharing the drink that people theorize is gasoline, but uh, who cares? Um, Exactly. Post post movie theories are crazy. People go nuts. (laughs) I, I think though the importance of the drink is it doesn't matter anymore. He's been suspicious of Childs the whole movie, but doesn't matter anymore. We'll share a drink. It's the end of our lives anyway. I think that's great. Yeah. Sweet. All right. So for my number nine, I'm doing a little bit of a call to your uh, your honorable mentions list. And my favorite director, hands down, Christopher Nolan with Memento, one of his earlier movies. I just think like this was one of the most unpredictable endings for me, which is funny because it's the middle. And you're know, like for those again, for those listening who don't know, Memento is told from the start to the end again hopefully people have watched this movie but like if you've seen it and just this went over your head it's told from the the end and the start leading up to the middle arcing around like and meeting in the middle as as the ending and that's such a creative format yeah like that that whole idea in and of itself is enough but then just how we went through the whole plot like the important parts arguably and it's just that like one moment where, where we realize our narrator is so unreliable <laughs> and that he has crafted everything we've watched just because he felt like it and like has this like just chasing John G thing like that he just chooses to do and picks that 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 actor that plays Teddy he's all he was a good role for that but he's always like a bad guy I feel like he's like in this like we almost anticipated that and then he was just some schmuck who got caught in Lenny's crossfire. He's in Percy Jackson. He's the yeah, he's, he's, he's the stepdad. Gabe. Yeah, he's oh, he's an ass in that movie. Um, but yeah, no, Memento is just it's so creative. That I mean that ending shot of him, you know, just crafting that Polaroid and driving off to be like basically the the whole to start the whole series of events that we just witnessed leading up to it in reverse is amazing. 
So are we moving on to the number eight? Yes, sir. Okay. For my number eight, I put the Safdie Brothers 2017, I think, film Good Time, starring Robert Pattinson. I've not seen that. Oh, wait. Pete Davidson loves this movie, though. I saw it. I, I've seen that interview. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. It's very stressful. It's in, in the same sense that Uncut Gems, have you seen Uncut Gems? It, it's like just yes, stress and, and frustration throughout the whole thing. So like you, you're told throughout the movie, essentially, or shown throughout the movie that Connie, uh, Robert Pattinson's character, sucks. He's an awful person. He's just a real bad guy. But he's the main character and he's who you're following. So you're kind of not supporting him, but like that's who you're following. You're rooting for him a little bit. But the last shot, uh, watching his brother Nick, played by Benny Safdie, like accept help and do this therapy and actually be involved, uh, like slaps you in the face with the fact that Connie has been like a cancer on his life and has been destroying his life thus far. And you get this kind of, after all that stress, you get this sense of he can actually get help now. He can, you know, go to therapy and live a more fruitful life than he probably ever could have with Connie in his life. Yeah, that's, a, I, I definitely need to watch that now that you say that. And especially if it, if it has like the same kind of um, tension building as like Uncut Gems, like that kind of style, that's for sure going to be on my list. The first time I watched it, I almost had a panic attack. I was in a really hot room, <laughs> and it was so loud and stressful. It's in a hot room. Where were you when you watched this movie? I was in my bedroom. My bedroom in the summer, for some reason, gets no circulation, and it gets to, like, 85 degrees. Rough. It's just a little hot box. Like, oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. All right, so we're on number eight. I have rolling in at this spot Fight Club. Just because, again, similar to Django, like, I just think it's it's an awesome spectacle, but at the same time, it's so reduced. So you have all this chaos, you have paranoia, schizophrenia from Edward Norton's character all breaking out. And we kind of, we see it all at once, honestly, like all the pieces really get put together. And then you have the culmination of what is literally called Project Mayhem. It's mayhem, it's madness. He's watching the city blow up with Helena Bonham Carter. And it's all reduced to you've met me in a very strange time in my life. All this chaos with just this simple back shot, them holding hands, fame, like iconic shot for one, for one thing. And then just him going, yeah, you've met me at a really, really weird time. Like just, it's, it's brilliant. Also one of the greatest needle drops in film history. It's yeah. the, uh, where is my mind is so iconic for that scene. Oh yeah, Absolutely. So moving on to number seven, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Number seven, I did uh, another pretty, a lot of these are fairly recent. Uh, unfortunately, I can't remember the name of the director, but it is a movie called Pig. Came out a few years ago. It's a Nicolas Cage movie about a truffle hunter whose pig gets stolen and he's going out to find his pig, rescue his pig. Seems silly. Weird concept. Definitely it, a weird concept. I'm not sure. It's like surprisingly emotional. I did not expect it to be so emotional and like drain, kind of draining. But throughout this movie, he's obsessed with this pig and he's like a recluse that lives in the woods with no one else. 
and the pig spoil i mean we're past spoilers yeah. we we could say spoiler on every single number before every sentence i think we're just going to give a big old spoiler warning at the beginning and then just call it a day fair enough i'm not, i'll stop saying it. uh the pig represents like his his inability to move on from his wife his wife had died and that's what caused him to like retreat into the woods he was a very very famous chef beforehand so at the end the last shot he his partner who he sells the truffles to they go through this thing together and um he's finally able to like open up to him and talk to him and it's like he's actually making a friend for what seems like the first time in years and that's beautiful and wow. then um he plays this tape which at the very beginning of the movie he was he couldn't play he started it and he took it out and it's tape of his wife singing for him and he lets the tape play and it's melancholy and but beautiful and he's finally able to listen to the tape and i don't know it's just a perfect representation of like ghost story kind of getting over grief and getting closure and being able to move on with your life while still remembering the person that you love it's an incredible ending in my opinion all right, so there you go. For you li uh, listeners, definitely go watch Pig. I will be. Leave it to leave it to Nick Cage to uh, evoke some emotions with just kind of a disgusting animal. It's a wonderful movie. It's that's his performance awesome. is incredible. I'm not even shocked. That's like such a that like that screams Nick Cage. Like you love it, and it's just so out there though conceptually. Yeah, I he just off on a little tangent he went off he went did an interview recently we talked about doing like uh vod movies or movies that weren't going to theaters and he talked about how some of them were terrible but you know that's how he got mandy which is an incredible movie yeah so like my friend jack loves that one actually they can be like super rewarding to do these little indie movies that no one knows how they're going to do all right so my number seven again they when it comes to just this is a movie that a lot of people i think i think think about whenever they think of like really good movies but the ending not necessarily is one that like it's like a big aha moment or a big moment of like you know some huge spectacle it's actually really simple and it's forrest gump so i threw forrest gump on here because it is the most satisfying ending i think in any movie ever it i have never been so satisfied just with when the credits started rolling of like yes that's where my character is that's how the movie ends that's beautiful because like you you watch this guy go through his whole life you as we all know forrest gump like most people have seen it it's it's his whole life it's the ups the downs the funny stuff the serious stuff and you know he loses jenny right and then you watch him there's this moment of maturity where you just see that little munch like montage kind of towards the end of him becoming like a really good father to little forest and then it he sends him off to school and there's a call back to the first uh, part of the movie where little forest says you're dorothy loris or whatever the bus driver's name is and i'm forrest gump because the first time he went it's like well we're strangers and then she introduces him he's like you know he told little forest before he gets on the bus hey this is this lady's name she's cool like because he probably knew it was gonna be the same interaction and after he leaves you know he, he, we saw him sitting on a bench the whole movie. He sits on a tree trunk right in his front yard with the feather, you know, the call to Jenny 
being a bird. It just floats away, almost seemingly like following the bus, following her son to school. And then Alan Silvestri's beautiful score rolls in over the over the credits with Forrest just kind of sitting there in the distance. And it's just it's it's perfect. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Yeah. It's so rewatchable. I think that is one of the most rewatchable movies ever. Like I could just I could put it I could watch it endlessly. (laughs) Anytime. You could sit down and just yeah put it on like that's a for sure a desert island. Like if you're stuck and you have to watch like watch something over and over again, that's 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 so up there. So for my number six, uh, I did, speaking of, because uh, we talked about Under the Silver Lake recently, I did David Robert Mitchell's 2014 outing, It Follows. Uh, it's a movie about essentially a sexually transmitted monster, which is, again, a very weird Whoa. concept. So they're trying to figure out how to stop this monster throughout the whole movie. And the end, I don't think this is a movie because I know that you're going to watch it fairly soon because you said so. Go, dude, go for it. Well, I I was going to say, I don't think this is a movie that can be spoiled because it's an ambiguous ending. They do what they do to avoid it, but they essentially come to the conclusion that it can't be stopped. So towards the end of the movie, uh, two of the characters are walking down the street and the blocking and framing the camera throughout the whole film kind of conditions you to watch the background because it might be in the background of any shot, just walking towards the camera. And so, especially on rewatches, you're going to be scanning the background, looking for the thing, the it, and someone's walking behind them. Maybe it's a person walking just on the sidewalk, but maybe it's the monster. And so I think it puts you into their eyes of they've avoided it for now, but they're going to have to live in paranoia for the rest of their lives because there's seemingly no way to stop this monster and you can just run and try to delay it. And that's it. I need to watch this movie because again, after you wrecked under the silver lake, I love, and I, I totally trust this director. I forget his name. What's the guy's name again? You just uh, David Robert Mitchell. David, okay, yeah. Under the Silver Lake was there were some really creative shots, you know, like with the camera. It was a little tangent, but like with the camera, like running like a dog when they were doing the whole dog murder thing, and a lot of the like the quick zoom ins behind characters, really, really cool. And I think if he's doing more of like a a horror concept, and it follows like at least just similar kind of suspense. I mean, that's right up my alley, and I definitely want to see that. Also, I know I texted you about this the other day, but uh, Disaster Piece soundtrack for It Follows is my favorite yeah. movie score ever. I love the score of that movie. So two two wrecks for listeners out there, Under the Silver Lake and It Follows, just because, again, if you like come some serious suspense, like I, I think I sat there, puzzled to be a word. I mean, I just, I sat there with my mouth open, just looking at the screen the whole time. I was like, What's happening? <laughs> this is crazy. Um, so we're moving on. Or that was your. That was my six. That was your six. I still have to do six. This one's a little heavy. American History X is a heavy movie, but I think especially you know with the the climate of the country right now, honestly, like 
the whole like hate is baggage message is phenomenal. Oh, die free here, froze up on me. There we go. Um, I think, you know, we, we have a story of an older brother who was a neo-Nazi skinhead and he kind of passed that along to his brother, but he, he changed when he was in prison. And when he gets out, he's trying to help his brother change the same way he did and be a better influence, you know, as opposed to the worst influence he was before he went to prison. Um, and, you know, whenever Danny, the younger brother, starts going through the uh, history class with the, I think it's like a principal or a counselor. I don't know what that guy's job is because he's like, he's, he, was, he was Derek's English teacher, but now he's, a, he's teaching this like private history to uh, Danny. And just watching Danny get shot in the bathroom you know, like, like kind of artistically bloody slow motion of him getting shot. And then Derek just being just absolutely disheveled and all these kind of shots of all the sadness surrounding it. But then Danny, who was a victim of this, like, absolutely hateful act because of the hate that he kind of embodied the whole movie, but he got over the hump. Reading his paper over top of his own kind of death was just so powerful. And the sun, the, the, the sunset at the end with that that whole message of just love everyone around you is just amazing. It's a very heavy, but I think a very important movie. I that's a good pick. Yeah, I mean that one. You, it's hard to not cry at a couple points in that movie. <laughs> so for my number five, I picked uh, Fritz Lang's M, which is uh, a German movie from the thirties. It's about a serial child murderer. And so. Speaking of heavy. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they're, you know, obviously trying to, to find this guy. And the police hate him. The citizens hate him. Other criminals in the town hate him because they think it's disgusting, the murders. And also uh, the, you know, uh, police activity is uh, like tightened up around the town so a lot of their crime they can't get away with anymore because it's it's more strict because they're trying to find this guy so the criminals in the city devise a plan to find him mark him with the letter m thus the title uh and essentially give him a unofficial criminal trial and they do so and this trial happens and there's this really interesting discussion about the child murderer is a man with mental health issues. He cannot, he, he claims he cannot control his actions. It's something that's impulsive. He doesn't know what he's doing. And so he's saying his crimes are less evil than the criminals who choose to do it. They're of, of you know, sane mind and they choose to do it and the criminals are saying, well, if you can't control it, you should be the one locked up forever. We can stop if we want to. We're just choosing to commit crimes. So there's this like, wow, 10 minute debate on this. And then the movie, again, it's kind of like a punch in the face of the audience where it's, he baits you into thinking about this debate and trying to figure out where you stand on this debate. And then it shows the mother of the the, uh, murdered, Uh, young girl and she basically says none of this matters to me my daughter's dead 
it's nothing's going to bring her back. It doesn't matter whether, whether, uh, which is better. I lost right. a daughter and it's, right. you know, very, I don't know. It's intense. It's, and it's very quick. It's just, she says her thing and the movie ends and yeah, just kind of leaves you. It sounds like there's a, like an underlying message there of like crime versus like the criminally insane too. Is, the, is that a thing? Cause I've seen, I, I, you have much yeah, more I mean, an international film palette than I do. And mine's like, okay, but you've seen a lot of more international films. I've not seen this one. So that's, essentially what the what the trial is where the criminals are saying it's okay that we commit crime because we choose to we can control it and stop and he's saying you're worse than i am because i don't have a choice you do and it's just an interesting discussion that then immediately gets shut down it's very abrupt very cool in my opinion oh yeah all right so that was your five all right so Moving on to my number five, possibly one of the greatest movies ever written. You know, whether you like it or not, it's got to be. I think uh, the Shawshank Redemption's ending is perfect. I don't know. Do you have this later on? It was one of the ones I cut. You cut it. All right. Mm -hmm. I think, again, the, the reason I put this one is because it's right there in the title, right? The whole movie, you watch Shawshank. You see the prison, you know, this guy wrongfully convicted and then also like the, the whole friendship that builds between him and red red getting through his actual rehabilitation and kind of understanding what that means. And that whole end monologue of his is, is one thing that kind of, I think that starts like the ending scene and him being able to leave Shawshank after Andy's already escaped and, you know, follow their plan to, to meet up in Mexico is just, it's perfect, but that is, that's the redemption. Like you're waiting this whole movie of just absolutely miserable, like really painful shit. And then you get to see the redemption of these two friends embracing just on a beach, completely free men, as we've like both realized they kind of deserve to be just because they are good people as like you watch them develop as like these really good people through the entirety of the film. And it's just, it's awesome to see the, the redemption that you're kind of promised in the title. And just two, two, two bros hugging on a beach. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah why not? Grab, grab a couple of owners, crack them open, why don't you? All right, so we're on to four, correct? Uh, yes, sir. That's okay. it. Okay. So for my number four, I did Andrea Tarkovsky's, I don't remember the year, but Mirror is the one I chose. It's a movie where you see the life of, a man in like three different eras uh him as a child and it kind of follows his mother more than it follows him him during a war and then him as an adult uh with his wife who he's divorcing or has divorced i don't really remember but the whole movie is like poetry in film it's very surrealist uh it jumps between these eras and a lot of the like his ex-wife and his mother are played by the same actress. So the first time I watched it, I was insanely confused. But uh, <laughs> towards the end, it's essentially revealed that the main character, Alexi, is a dying man. He's, he's on his deathbed talking to, um, I don't remember who, but, uh, and it kind of frames the whole previous 
movie as his life flashing before his eyes. And so you get this sense of thinking about, you know, I, when I was watching, I thought, oh man, if I, if I died tomorrow, what parts of my life would I look back on and think were meaningful or were important or is life important at all? Is it just a string of events that mean nothing? And it creates Dang. this debate. I, it's it's an intense movie. That's also really heavy. <laughs> yeah, I, we go to American History X to the the M to Shawshank to this. That's a that's a bunch of hard hitting endings to be for real. And then the the like the very final shot is um, his childhood home, and it's the trees are blowing in the wind, and you see his mother flicks between the. A uh, woman who plays her in the movie and an older woman who is actually played by Tarkovsky's actual mother. And I don't know, it's, it's very interesting. Also, it's a, a, a loose autobiography because it's supposed to be like loosely based on his life. So I, it's, it's a very cool ending. It's a very poetic ending. And it, it made me think about my life, which is like what I think is perfect for movies. It's why I think movies are it's, such an insane. It's what movies try to do. Exactly. It's the, that's the whole goal of, of writing film is to evoke some sense of thought or emotion from your viewers, right? I mean, it's entertaining, but at the same time, usually, you know, writers and, and directors and actors want to pull something out of you. Exactly. Yeah, so that's really cool. I'll have, to, I'll have to think about giving that one a look. So my number four, uh, getting into the top three, three, four here. Um, so my number four is Casablanca. I think, you know, it's, it's a classic. When you go through movie history, you can't not bring up this movie. It, it, it defines classical Hollywood cinema. You're smiling. Do you disagree? If we do a hot take episode, I will be talking about Casablanca. Oh, my God. You don't like Casablanca? I do not enjoy Casablanca. All right. I have a paper that I wrote on why Casablanca is the shit, and I will make you read it. I I just didn't like it when I watched it. All right. Well, getting to the ending. I'll, let me just I'll do a brief thing here. Rick, so you've, you've seen it. You've seen it. You just didn't like it. Yes, I have seen it. All right. I didn't know if you just, it was one of those things where it's, it's got all kind of hype in terms of classical Hollywood. So you're like, yeah, F that. <laughs> but um, all right. So no, Rick, though, this this dude defines like dichotomy there's there's two sides to him through almost the entire movie there is the like we see the flashbacks to this love interest like dude who is like happy-go-lucky really loved this woman ilsa and then the absolutely like selfish scorned cynical guy who owns the bar and he's very much to himself like he's very official and then as soon as she walks in he changes like he, he's lost in which ones of himself he wants to be. And then he ends up being neither of them, which is why I think the line, Louie, I think this is the beginning of, of a beautiful friendship as, the, as him and Louie walk off after, you know, Ilsa gets on the plane and everything. That line embodies his transformation into just something more admirable because he has this whole speech to Ilsa, right? Where he's like, you know, the, the, basically the drama or the events of three people's lives, the three of them, Victor Laszlo, Ilsa, and him, it amounts to nothing more than a hill of beans. Like it's, it's, it's nothing. You know, there's this whole world, it's World War II, World War II is happening. And Victor is a guy who's really like, you can even see in the lighting, like Victor's always in 
way brighter light shots where he's like supposed to be so like heroic and doing an admirable thing. And so Rick, our man just said that he gives up that softer side of himself where he could have just been happy with Ilsa. He just gives that up. He's for the greater good. He's like, you know, go with Victor. He's like, you keep him going and he needs to keep going because he's doing good things for the world. And then he just moves on to start his like beautiful friendship with Louie and like where he's going to be like doing admirable things himself. It seems like, so it's, it's just a, the transformation of Rick in that moment is awesome. And I think then the, the shot of the plane flying away, it's, it's also, it's iconic him holding her there to like, give the speech. And again, I don't know what it is about me. Maybe I, I've had some horrible relationship things happen that La La Land and Casablanca are both in my top 10. I mean, like, it's fair. I think it's fair that it gets the hype it does just for whatever reason it didn't do it for me. Yeah, no, I love, I guess I just love these movies where these people just have awesome scenes together and then don't end up together. <laughs> Speaking of which, my number three. No way. Uh, my number three is the movie I mentioned earlier, Wong Kar Wai's uh, 2000 film, In the Mood for Love. I, as a film fan, I don't like get close to crying very often. And I don't like romance movies. This really? is a romance movie I love. And this is a movie that I almost, I was so close to crying at the end of this movie. It's, that's a lot. As it, someone it, who knows you so closely, that's, that says a lot. It's, uh, it's so like heartbreaking. So the movie is about these uh, two people who move in next to each other. They, they're renting rooms out that are owned by older, uh, older people. So goes through, they, they become like acquaintances, they're neighbors, they talk to each other occasionally. And then they discover that their spouses are having an affair with each other. So throughout this, they kind of start to hang out more and become friends. And they go through and like, like almost try to recreate their spouses meeting each other to see why they would have cheated. And Eventually, they fall in love with each other. Whoa. But they, yeah, I, I, crazy. <laughs> but they decide they're not going to uh, like consummate that love because they don't want to stoop to the level of their spouses. They were hurt by their spouses. They don't want to be that type of person. So eventually, they go their separate ways. Uh, the man moves to Singapore. Um, and after a year, uh, the woman goes to Singapore to visit him, but he's not at his apartment. So she just leaves a, a, a cigarette with a lipstick stain that tells him she was there. And she goes back to Hong Kong where the movie took place throughout most of it. And she buys the apartment or rents the apartment that she lived in, except the whole apartment. She had left her husband and she has a son now. And the man goes back and talks to the people who have bought his apartment. And they tell him um, the people next door moved out. It's a woman and her son who live there now. And he's kind of disappointed because he was going there to see her. And without realizing that she is the woman with the son, he just looks at the apartment like with a sense of longing and leaves. Doesn't knock on the door wow. or anything. And so about 30 minutes left in the movie, he's telling his friend a story about how in the old days, when people had a secret, they would walk up to a mountain, carve a hole in a tree, 
whisper their secret into the hole, cover it with dirt and leave it there forever and just give up on that secret. And the final shot of the movie he's in, um, oh man, I can't believe I forgot what it's called, uh, Angor Wat. And there's a hole in the wall and you see him walk up to the hole and you don't really know what he's doing because it's been about 30 minutes since he said that. He's whispering into the hole. And then there's a, a shot of mud smeared into that hole where he's giving up on the idea of this woman that he's been in love with for years. Wow. And then it's just silence and like ambient shots of Angor Wat, and then it's over. Uh, and there is like an outro thing. I didn't write it down. Never mind. I was gonna read it, but I forgot to write it down. That's awesome. What a, first off, what a concept. Oh, I'm sorry, I did write it down. So I'm gonna read this really quickly. It's just okay. like a little text no, that comes on the screen. It says, he remembers those vanished years as though looking through a dusty window pane. The past is something he could see but not touch, and everything he sees is blurred and indistinct. And then the end. Wow. It's rough. It's so sad. Yeah. It's rough. That's a great con like again, great concept though. And that I can just the way you describe that last shot with the whisper. Like I almost even like want to just watch that end scene. Just to just to see it, like that's that seems like really something. It's so it's shot from behind him. He's whispering, and then he. Uh, it shows it. it from and Wong Kar Wai is an incredible director. There's so many great angles in this movie. Uh, the it first shows him from an upper like down diagonal angle. You see him with his hands up to his mouth, and then from behind, and then you see him walking out of Angkor Wat, and then it it's a close up on the hole with mud smeared on it, and that's when you like realize what happened. That's it's so sweet. good. All right. So cracking my top three. One of the bigger plot twists uh, I think that exists. I have the usual suspects. I'm not sure that this isn't going to be on your list at all, but you actually, I don't know if you remember, you showed me this movie for the first time. This is your basement like six years ago. We watched it. And I believe I said with like, 40 minutes in the movie not not into it like left there's like 40 minutes left i was like it's this guy this whole like kaiser so say fella i was like it's definitely spacey Spoiler i remember <laughs> i remember this and i remember sitting there so uncomfortable not wanting to show any emotion on my face <laughs> i was like you know because you have kevin spacey in an, in an interview with the police this entire movie basically going back through the, the events as, as we know them as viewers, as he's telling them to the, the, the police. And just that moment where his, his gimp switches and the, the, the monologue over the, you know, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And that little, like, the little fingers by the mouth blow thing he does, the, he's gone. It's just incredibly put together as a whole with like the the voice over and the the visual of them changing like the whole moment of that coming together even if you did call it 40 minutes before the movie actually wanted you to know it i don't know what made, honestly i don't know what made me call it that i think it was just like i just had a feeling because he was like our guy like giving us all this information i was like this dude's the guy this is our man <laughs> Uh, there's an interesting story about that. I believe uh, Gabriel Byrne, who plays 
I don't know, the other guy, not Benicio del Toro, not the short guy, and not um Yeah. Uh one of the other usual suspects. Yeah. <laughs> um, I believe he said until he saw the movie, he was under the impression that he was Kaiser Soze because they filmed the shot that shows up like towards the end where he's doing it as right. like a, a to throw people off. And he, they never told him that that's not actually how the movie ends. So he just that thought he was Kaiser Soze. That did get me because I was on the train, you know, of Spacey. And then they show, they straight up showed you that scene. And I was like, wait, okay, maybe not. So there was a moment of doubt, but I was on it. So my number two, for the second time on the list, I am including the Safdie brothers. It is Uncut Gems. Uh, oh, yeah. One of my favorite movies of the last 10 years. A movie that depicts uh, a gambling addiction so well, so interestingly. And I think the idea where he wins the bet and just boom, shot in the head, doesn't matter, he's dead. It's, again, insanely abrupt. It's so matter of fact. And it's this idea, again, with, I think I mentioned it for another one, where nothing really in the movie mattered he had a gambling addiction but it got so bad to the point where the money wasn't risky enough he was whether he was consciously doing it or not doing this to himself putting himself in these life-threatening situations essentially because it gave him a thrill it, what he was gambling with was yeah. his life as corny as that sounds but it's true no yeah, straight up and it's just uh you can all you see it in the in the scene uh the auction scene where Kevin Garnett had placed a bid that was higher than he was going to buy it for before. He had won, uh, Howard had won at that point, and he pushes it further yep. because it didn't matter. The money wasn't important. It was how far can I push nope. this till I, till I die? And it's it such, <laughs> yeah, it's such a, like, I don't know. I love that ending. <laughs> Yeah, the, no, the abruptness definitely, like, just shook me. I remember I was just shaking. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Also, has nothing to do with anything, but I looked at the box score of that game, and Paul Pierce uh, fouls out of that game. And I think, depending on when he fouled out, that might be what let Howard win the bet because Paul Pierce was, you know, the clutch, clutchest player right. in the league. He would have right. been taking shots. Yeah, like, that's just a really interesting real world fact. I, I can't even fathom betting on a tip off. <laughs> I read an article about his parlay and they were like, putting the opening tip in a parlay is insane. Nobody yeah. does that. That's yeah, and it's, so well, stupid. Like, you know, I watched that. That movie gives me hope because it's like, you know, I look at my DraftKings history from time to time, particularly now. This is a little bit of a tangent, but we'll, we'll go on it because Uncut Gems is that good of a movie. I look at my DraftKings history, particularly going through March Madness here, and I'm like, this is problematic. Even though, like, again, a lot of wins in there, but I, I'm like, this is a substantial amount of bets. But then I look at that and I'm like, yeah, all right, I'm not throwing tip-offs into four pick parlays and betting my life and, and magic stones. And <laughs> I have never once won a sport, sports bet. I lose every single time. Oh I am my. the worst better in the world. You need to consult me. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. All right. 
All right. So now getting moving on from the betting and the uncut gems and, and death of Adam Sandler. Um, one of, I think, the more underrated movies that at least I mean, people I talked to, like no one I talked to has seen this movie, but Drive starring Ryan Gosling um, by Nicholas Winding Refn, I think, directed it. Um, he, this whole movie is gorgeous. And you can tell because it's so captivating and there's so little dialogue. Like there's not no that like there's definitely story told through through conversations and there's there's important dialogue. There's like whenever he meets Bernie, the you've seen this, right? You've seen Drive? Yes. Okay. So yeah, like when he meets Bernie, he's like, My hands are dirty. And then Bernie, because he was just working on a car, you know, he is kind of he's he's like a low grade criminal, I'd call Ryan Gosling's character in this, the driver. Because he's a getaway driver, you know, it's it's criminal activity, but he's an honorable person. And he just goes to shake Bernie's hand. Bernie goes, oh, mine are dirty, too. But for, a, you know, a vastly different reason. In the whole movie, you see this, like, morally straight guy who's just, he's a criminal out of, like, thrill and necessity almost. He's just, he's so calculated. And then he wants to be better, though. Like, it's the minute he meets Irene and takes care of, uh, you know, Benicio and everything. You see him get like his his moral check like down to a T, and what they bring out in him is so like delicate and innocent. But he still has this past and this like need to protect them because they're in danger because of his criminal you know misgivings. And that song, a real hero, that plays through the whole movie. This is what makes the ending. So the story, the story of the scorpion and the frog, right? He wears a scorpion jacket, and he waits, and and Bernie stabs him, and then he stabs Bernie. And the whole thing about like if the scorpion gets on the frog's back to get across the lake, like what's what's the frog gonna say if he's like, oh well, what if you sting me? He's like, well, I'll die too. So you know that whole analogy kind of coming to fruition, and then all you see is Bernie's body in that kind of like zoomed out shot, laying there with the the money, which is just the reason for like the dirty hands. And we finally cut to a shot. We see that our driver, our man, is still alive. And he's in his car. He's about to do what he does. And just as he starts driving away, it's the same shot from inside the car, like from his point of view, all the driving shots from his point of view. Same shot as the beginning of the movie with a vastly different tone because we have the a real hero song playing. And that's all he's wanted to be the whole movie was a real hero. And then he kind of like did it because he saved Benicio and Irene. He left them behind to our knowledge, at least, because she knocks on the, the unanswered door. But him driving off to that song after doing that and like saving them and just kind of ridding himself of crime is just, it's so poetic. I don't know if you have words on this movie because I mean, this, I, I cannot say enough about this film. I have not watched it in a long time. I think I was, I think it was like four years ago the last time I watched it. I'm going to probably rewatch it pretty soon. Uh, I just wanted to say there's a different uh, Refn movie that is, worse and uh, this sounds weird but it's worse in every way but it's a really interesting like look at style versus sub substance where i i get pulled into really pretty movies even if they're very obviously bad movies it's a movie called um ah i can't remember yeah only god forgives i believe is what it's called um it's the the lack of dialogue is even more so than drive wow that's a lot. And that's it's shocking. Not a great plot, and 
like the dialogue that is there isn't amazing, but it's a really interesting movie for the visuals. I just wanted to throw you that know, out hey, there. Another quick tangent with that. Uh, have you so you said when I was talking about like the stuff we've watched recently that you hadn't seen many of the Oscar noms, but have you seen Dune? I have seen Dune. Okay, that was gorgeous. If we're talking oh, about yeah. beautiful shot, like, oh my God, was that phenomenally shot. I mean, that was just, that was a spectacle. Just to get on that tangent, back to like the the little bit of, you know, what we've watched recently. I think Dune, Dune was amazing. I really like Dune as well. All right. What, so, let's, let me hear it. The big top movies are number one. Number one. For my number one, I put, um, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing his name, Matthew Kasowitz. I, I'm so, I'm, I apologize, Matthew, but his 1995 film, Lehen, or Hate, I call oh, it Lehen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's such a good movie. It, I, I uh, cite it as my favorite movie or my second favorite movie all the time. It's absolutely top two. Even officially on Letterboxd? <laughs> uh, I don't on Letterboxd, actually. <laughs> I have four different movies up there. But so the end, the idea is there is a tragedy. Um, one of their friends was killed and it's causing riots in uh, like the suburbs of Paris. Um, and it, it, it was an Arab man who was killed. So it's implied that it was it was racially charged. Uh, Paris, I don't know if you know, is pretty rough in terms of racism. It's oh yeah, no, I've yeah. I've, I've seen this. This is this is quite the yeah. quite the movie. So uh, the ending, one of the characters, Vince, throughout the whole movie has a gun, and he's saying, uh, "If this guy dies because he's in a coma throughout the movie, I'm going to kill a cop." Uh, I I could be. I could get be getting some of the details wrong. I haven't watched in a while, but that's what I remember. It's also in French. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so throughout the movie, his friends are trying to uh, dissuade him from doing this, and they get into these different situations. It's just kind of following them through the day. It's not really a narrative. It's more so like just a character study on these three friends. Um, and so his friend dies. Uh, their friend dies and he decides he's not going to do it because his friend Hubert kind of shows him that he can't they they find a, a skinhead on the street and he says if you're going to kill someone kill this guy this guy's racist kill him I dare you to do it and he can't do it because he's like a teenager and a lot of I think a lot of teenagers overestimate what they can do and that's one of the ideas of this yeah. Well, the, the, the physical acting plays a lot on that, too. The facial expressions that, that that main character makes, I remember, is just, like, it's so gripping. Like, the both the innocence and, like, but also the anger that he's, like, fighting with it is just, you, it's so believable. Yeah, it's, uh, he's, it's such a good movie. Uh, so, at the end, he decides he's not going to do it. He gives the gun to Hubert, and they're, it's, gone through 24 hours they're going to go home and right when they're going home they get stopped by police officers who they had an altercation with very early in the movie and the cop accidentally shoots Vins in the head and kills him and it's we don't another one though, right uh we see we see Vins die 
Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. It's right, it's right, it's right. It's another one where it's really abrupt. He's not, he doesn't mean to do it. It's, he's trying to uh, intimidate him and the gun goes off in his hand and the, the cop is even like shocked by it. And after that, Hubert, who now has the gun Vin's head, uh, points to the cop's head, the cop points a gun at his head. And their third friend, Saeed, is watching this. The camera pulls in to Saeed. A gunshot, uh, he closes his eyes really tightly and a gunshot goes off. Someone shot someone. We don't know who it was. Yeah, that's the one we don't see. That's right. It's uh, heartbreaking. It shows this idea of uh, living in a poor area in a city where a lot of people are racist and you're a victim of uh, systemic racism. It, it's going through a cycle where you just go through, go through, and you're trapped in the cycle until something tragic happens. And uh, there's a voiceover by Hubert's character at the beginning and the end of the movie where he talks about a man falling off a building. And as he passes each window, he says, so far, so good, so far, so good, so far, so good, until it hits the ground. And it's this idea where when you live in a place like that and when you're so like discriminated against, your whole life is so far, so good until you hit the ground. It's very intense. Yeah. And also just uh, the movie opens with Saeed opening his eyes and then closes with him closing his eyes, which uh, emphasizes the cycle uh, even more. Uh, it's such a great movie. It's so sad, but it's such a great movie. Yeah, no. I, yeah, that was the one that stuck in my mind after I watched it for a while, because it, it was like that end shot, particularly with the ambiguity, for one thing. And earlier on, I think they also did like a big contrast, like the wealthy part of that city like part of Paris too like with the issues that they're all facing just aren't even like a thought in that that one wealthier person's mind it was it was really captivating all right all right let's hear your number one last one and this is one like if you ask me straight up like this will be my answer automatically it's probably the the one that I thought of first whenever we said we were gonna you know open with this episode it's the dark knight Again, I got Nolan all Nolan is peppering this list, but second installment of the Dark Knight trilogy. I think what this last scene is again, I'm not gonna roll through like all of Batman Begins and all of the Dark Knight, but you know, we have the gallant Harvey Dent who puts people away as the DA and he's like a legitimate, you know, criminal justice person, and then you have Batman the vigilante. So after Harvey becomes Two-Face and commits all these crimes, I think, for one, Batman did what you know you expect him to do. He, he kills Harvey, protects Gordon's family. But that last shot, that last whole scene of cutting between Gordon talking to his son about why Batman's running, and then also talking to the press about why Harvey's like the white knight this like the man that got the man that Gotham deserves and that, that they needed and that put all these criminals away. But then he says that early he says Bruce Batman is the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one that it needs right now. And Bruce taking up that mantle. He's like, I know what Gotham needs me to be. Cause like throughout the whole, throughout his whole character, arc, he was a self-centered revenge seeking person. Now we see him kill someone who is self-motivated in revenge seeking 
on Gordon's family and Harvey Dent. So he completely like very literally kills that in himself, takes up this mantle of this is what Gotham needs. I'm doing this for the city. I will be the bad guy if that's what they need me to be. And it's just awesome. And that honestly, all overlaid with Hans Zimmer's amazing score. Again, a shot of some, Nolan does this all the time, but a shot of a character moving away from the camera on the motorcycle with Gordon being like, he's a silent guardian, a watchful protector, a dark knight. And then the, the apex of the score hits. It's just perfect. I, it is a perfect ending. I absolutely agree. I, I was thinking about that one, but I was like, I know for a fact that's Greg's number one. So yeah. I'm going to let him talk about it. <laughs> of um, course. Have you seen the new Batman? Yes. Okay. So it's, you know, uh, Bruce's character arc in the new Batman is like going from using fear and just being a, a, a force of fear and, and whatever for the villains to, I also have to be this beacon of hope as well. And I think it's interesting to compare the two character yeah, arcs of the two different Batman. It's, it's also two very different Bruce Wayne's. Yeah. One, I feel like, is younger and more still scorned from his childhood and the other one's like mr billionaire i'm putting on this facade already kind of deal and yeah. they were catching him at two different points in his life and it's th- that difference is i'm very glad exists because that way you're not so much directly comparing the two franchises yeah but i'm excited for this one i i mean i love this one as much as i'm mr christopher nolan you know guy who i will live and breathe that dark knight trilogy live and breathe the dark knight trilogy it was really good. I think stylistically and tonally, it fits what I like more than the dark. Like, I don't, I wouldn't say it's a better movie oh, per se. They, no, they painted Gotham way better. Yeah. And I, I, and I just, I love the dark, like, it's just a, a messed up city. It's, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, and like the Christopher Nolan's one, Christopher Nolan's movies have like influence from Heat, uh, Michael Mann, and like crime crime whatever and this one is like it's scary it's it's kind of horrifying and i I like that a lot especially have you seen the deleted scene with the joker yes yeah it's it's frightening i was watching that and i was thinking this is an insanely cool scene i get why he cut it and also i'm kind of glad he cut it but this is it's really cool that we get to see this yeah no for real Barry Keegan is doing well. I mean, like, I don't think anything's ever going to top Heath Ledger. I don't think it can. Yeah. But it's gonna. he's got to make it different enough where he's not compared to him. But he does – he's playing on similar things with the laugh and, and, and stuff like that. It's it's very – I'm excited. We'll have to do maybe, like, at some point, like, just a full, a full Batman rundown. We're doing, like, a whole tangent here on just <laughs> yeah. a Batman comparison. We'll have to go through the, the ages of Batman. Just I, so I could I could talk about Batman and the different Batman forever. I really like that character. All right. Well, that that wraps it up, though, for our uh, our list. If you disagree, let us know. I think I, I think after we uh, release a couple of these, after we get a couple episodes on to Spotify, I'll make like an Instagram page. You know, if people want to start. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Uh, DMing. Yeah, Casablanca sucks. Sam's right. Greg, you're awful. <laughs> something like that. You know, there's less there's something we left out, you know, things like that uh, through each one. Or even like, you know, once we start, if we if we play some games later or something like that, 
uh, people can vote on some things or, or whatnot, you know, I think that'll be fun. But so thank everyone for listening. I think that's it. If you want to find either of us outside of this, I, I don't know if you're okay with sharing your hair. Yeah, I'm, I'm all good. Uh, I'm uh, S underscore T underscore Brown on, I think all social media. If you find a Twitter account that has four followers, that is me. Um, so follow me on Letterboxd if you want. Follow me on Twitter if you want. Follow me on Instagram if you want. I don't really post Just that much, but do that nice, fun little baby picture of me and Sam. That's I love it. Absolutely, that is so funny. And uh, yeah, so just if you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, my handle is Greg underscore Susie underscore 26. Very nice. I enjoyed doing this. Let us know if you have any feedback, please. We'd really appreciate it because we're really new at this. and We're just trying to get, get started here. So thank you for listening and we'll see you all next time.